If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do this morning, I invite you to open it up or turn it on and get to uh, 1 John chapter 1. And I do the same thing our pastor does every week. Children, you can go to Children's Church. Um, <clears throat> we need like a confidence slide, Ted, that says Children's Church. <clears throat> um, but uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you are... In the book of 1 John, we are going to be reading this morning, 1 John 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, and I would also encourage you to grab a pen, uh, the seat pocket in front of you, find a piece of paper, and to take some notes. Um, I've been taking notes for 20 plus years, and note taking has served me well. I, uh, I learn more, I retain more, and I'm more locked in when I'm writing something down. And so I would encourage you to try it out and see if it works for you. Um, it has worked in my life. God has used it in a big way in my life. Um, and so I would encourage you uh, to start this week taking some notes, jotting th- some things down uh, so that you can remember the things that you hear from God's Word this morning, we are continuing our series entitled Of This I Am Sure, in which um, the uh, Apostle John writes to a church who has been plagued by false teachers. These false teachers are known as Gnostics, and, uh, and they're really confusing the church. And so John writes, so that they may know that they know that they know God, that they can have assurance of their salvation. Um, And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to read a big chunk of Scripture, and then we're going to focus in on three verses. And the reason I want to do that is verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1 is a a complete thought, and then verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2 is a complete thought. So I want you to get the complete thought, and then we're going to zoom in on three verses this morning. So let's start 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Read along in your copy of God's Word with me this morning. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This morning, I want to focus on three words, three words that we find in verses 8 through 10. And so this morning, that's what we're going to zero in on, verses 8 through 10. I want to look at three words uh, because they are extremely important words for us to understand as Christians. Um, The first word that we're going to look at is sin. And I want to, uh, to try to show you from the Bible that you are a sinner. You are a sinner, and that sin is serious. And then we're going to look at the word truth in an effort to show you that truth does not come in ideologies or philosophies or cultural movements, but rather truth is only found in the Word of God. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at the word confess in an effort to show you 
that a mark of true Christianity is the action of agreeing with God that you are a sinner and resting in the truth of his character. And so this morning, I want us to see something. John, remember, John is writing to some, some, some of these Gnostic people who had a wrong view of Christianity. And uh, we won't go into complete detail because our pastor did a great job of that. Uh, the first series, that, uh, the first message of our series uh, to tell us what the doctrine that they believed in. But the things that I want us to remember from that is that the Gnostics believed that Jesus was not God. Uh, and they also believed that sin wasn't really a big deal. Some of them believed that you could get so close with God uh, intellectually that you could actually stop sinning. And some of them believed that you didn't sin at all, um, that, that you weren't accountable for your sin at all. Um, and, and, and these, these uh, Gnostic believers, they were, they were very smart. And I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone who's like really smart and you know they're wrong, but like, man, that was really convincing. Like, I kind of sort of see where you're coming from. And that's what was happening here at the church. These guys, these guys went in there and they were really smart. They had really great arguments. They had logical thought to it. And the, the, the church that John writes to is, is confused. Like, what's, what is true? Is what John told us true or is what these guys are telling us? Is that true? And so John tries to clear some things up. And so in verse 8 and in verse 10... We see two different non-truths. We see two different lies that were being talked about in that church. Uh, and the wording actually should read in verse 8 and verse 10, it, it should say, if we were to say, he, he's, he's, he's trying to get the readers to say, like, hey, listen, if we were to say this, like, if this were to be true, he's not saying that it's true, he's just saying, like, hey, listen, if we were to say that, um, that we have no sin, that at some point we could stop sinning, he says that... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, he says, if we say that we have not sinned or we never have sinned, like we've never made, done a sin, then we make him, being God, we make God a liar, and God's word is not in us. And so what he's trying to do here is he's saying, like, these are the things that you're hearing, that you can overcome sin or that you can never sin. And if you do those things, you, you're not walking in the truth. You're lying to yourself. You're calling God a liar. The word isn't in you. The truth isn't in you. Um, and so the first word that I want to really hone in because it's used four times in these four verses is the word sin. What is sin? If you've ever heard me preach on sin before, uh, sin is an archery term. And I know uh, none of us, or most of us probably aren't like archers unless you bow hunt or something. Um, so maybe, maybe you've never picked up a bow or shot an arrow before, but you get the idea. You, you put the, the arrow in, you pull the, the string back, and you release, and the, bow, or the arrow is supposed to go somewhere. It's supposed to hit something. It's supposed to hit a target, right? Um, and you aim for a target, and sin is if you miss the target. If you miss the target, um, then you have sinned. So what does that look like for us? What target are we aiming for? What, tar what target are we shooting for? And the Bible makes it pretty clear that our target is perfection, perfect unity with God in perfect obedience to his commands while perfectly worshiping him for who he is. That's our mark. That's our goal. And when we don't hit that, we have sinned. Another author said that sin is the failure to conform to God's moral law in action, attitude, or nature. Um, John, here in 1 John, actually also gives us a definition. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, which we'll see in a couple weeks, um, John writes, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And lawlessness means to disregard the law. 
So God has put forth laws or rules, regulations, and what we do is we disregard them. We say, no, nah, I'm good. Uh, and that's what, that's what it means to sin. And then, uh, if, if you need a better picture, Paul writes about this. So if you have a Bible, um, I want you to keep your place here, put a pencil or mascara stick or whatever, put it right here in 1 John and turn to Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 3, because I, I want you to read with me what our condition is. Uh, Paul makes it pretty clear what our condition is in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. All right? And then as soon as we're done with this verse, you can jump right back to 1 John. But Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18, this is what Paul writes. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And if you jump down to verse 23, Paul makes it clear that all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human being born of a man and a woman is a sinner. If you're in this room right now and you're breathing, you are a sinner. Um, And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't come to some higher intellectual plane and stop sinning. Um, It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years. You're a sinner. It doesn't matter if you aren't a Christian. You're a sinner. Um, uh, You are a sinner. And John is trying to help these these people at this church understand they are a sinner. You are a sinner. Um, You are a terrible human being. Um, in fact, uh, the, the Isaiah writes in Isaiah 64, 6, he says that even your good works, even your righteousness, the things that you think are good, those are like filthy rags. So like you like helping the grandma across the street. Oh, that's kind of you. You're so sweet. That's great. It's filthy rags. It's, 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 it's not good. There's, you can't do good works. You don't have the capacity apart from the Spirit of God to do anything good. You are a sinner, Um, One author wrote that, in a real sense, the essence of sin is our attempting to take the place of God. We want to be in charge. We want to establish the ground rules and lay out the playing field. And we want to provide our own definitions of what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is not. And if you were honest with yourself, you would say, yeah, there have been times in my life or right now when I wish that I could make the rules, that I could be in charge, that I could be in control, that I could decide what is right and what is wrong. Another author said that you're, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You're a sinner and that's all you can do. You cannot do anything else. And listen, sin is serious. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, the penalty of sin is death. James writes in James chapter 1, verse 15, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sin is serious. And you know this. You know this because you've lived life, and you've experienced hurt, and you've experienced pain, and you've experienced um, heartbreak and aches. Uh, You know that sin is hurtful. You know that sin is serious. You know that your sin doesn't just impact you, it impacts other people. 
Um, it impacts your spouse. It impacts your kids. And it, it impacts your employ, uh, uh, fellow employees. Sin is serious, and God hates sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, uh, we talked about this last week. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness or we live a lifestyle of sin, we lie. Because God is light. He can't be around the darkness. We, we can't walk in darkness and claim to have fellowship with God. It's not, it's not possible. God hates sin. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God hates sin sin. Why? So then why do, we, why do we struggle? Why do we struggle with admitting I'm a sinner? Why do we, why do we struggle uh, with the thought that like I'm a, I'm a good person? I'm generally a good person. Why, why is that? Uh, I was listening to a pastor and he said if you, uh, if you took a, a microphone and, and uh, some sort of camera out to the streets and you started doing some street interviews like um, uh, are you perfect? If that was your question, are you perfect? He said, the majority of people, like 90% plus, would probably say, no, I'm not perfect. I've, I've made a mistake a time or two, um, and, 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 you know, so I'm not perfect. But if you, if you asked a different question and you asked, are you a sinner? He said, way less people would say that they're a sinner. They'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. I've made some mistakes, but I'm not a sinner like, we start playing the comparison game. I didn't kill nobody. Uh, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't commit grand arson. You know, I, I haven't done these crazy things. I'm not a sinner. No, not me. Right? Um, why? Why do we do that? Why do we not lean into the fact, like, that's, we are a sinner. And if you're here this morning and you're, and you're like, getting a little uncomfortable, like, he needs to stop saying I'm a sinner. Um, like, why? Why do you start getting uncomfortable when I'm telling you what the Bible says? Like, why is that? Here's why. If we admit that we're a sinner then something has to change, and we don't want to change. We want to continue to live life as we know it now. We want to continue to do the things that we do that aren't wrong or that we know that are wrong, and it'd be okay. We don't want to change. So we would rather lie to ourselves and say, no, I'm not a sinner, than to practice the truth. Think about this. If we admit that we're a sinner, we'd also need to admit that we need a Savior or we need some help. And in our pride, no, I, I can do it on my own. I, I, can, I can figure it out on my own. I can, I can do it on my own. We would much rather lie. That's what, that's what John is getting at here in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, who do we deceive? We deceive ourselves because you are. <laughs> like you, it doesn't matter. Like Think about this. If, you, if you're a parent and you've had a young kid or if you know a young kid, right? Um, you don't teach them to sin. You don't teach them to have a bad attitude or to steal a toy from, from their sibling or another kid. You don't teach them that. Why? Because they're a sinner. They're just born into it. They are a sinner. <clears throat> Why don't you see what John, John writes this in his gospel. He says uh, in John chapter 3, verse 20, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Man, if you're walking in darkness, you don't want nothing to do with the light because the light does what? It exposes you. Uh, it exposes things that are in your life that need to change. And so what do we do? We stay away from the light. I'm going to continue to walk in darkness. Um, Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 25, talks about the people who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. 
You see what Paul says? He says, we've exchanged the truth for a lie. We, we would rather hang on to a lie that I'm a good person, that I, I'm not that bad, I don't need help, I don't need to change, than to admit that we are sinners. We are sinners and we, we need help. We, we need God to do something radical in our lives. And that's what John is trying to tell, tell these people at this church. You are a sinner. Don't lie to yourselves. Don't, don't make God a liar. You know, if you say I don't sin or I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with sin, then you make God a liar because his word says that you are. And so you're saying that God lies. And God doesn't lie. We know that. And then God's word isn't in us. Listen, you can't read the Bible and hide it into your heart and realize that I don't struggle with sin. No, the Bible says you are a sinner. And man, listen, let me, let me tell you, John is on a crusade for the truth. He doesn't care what you think. You can think that you're not a sinner, but you are. And John is here to tell you that you are. But look at what he says here in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and what? And the truth is not in us. John uses this word truth nine times in this short little letter to this church. Nine times. And if you look into the gospel of John, John uses it all around his gospel. Um, It's used over and over again because he is on a crusade for truth. In fact, here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, he says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Listen, if, you, if you're thinking, like, what, is, what gives John the right? Like, what gives John the right to write this to a church and say in such, with such boldness that if you do this, you lie? This is what truth is. What authority does he have to do that? Well, his authority doesn't come from him. His authority comes from God. Remember, in the beginning here, in 1 John chapter 1, he says, hey, listen, I'm an eyewitness account. I talked with Jesus. I heard Jesus. I touched Jesus. I, like, these aren't my words. He, and he even says it. He says, listen, I'm not coming to tell you my thoughts. I'm not coming to tell you what I think. He says twice, uh, once in the first four verses and once in verse five, he says, I've come to declare the things that I have heard to you. From who? From Jesus. And in John, his gospel account, John chapter 14, verse six, this is what he heard Jesus say. He heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He heard Jesus say the words, I am truth. Um, and then earlier in the gospel account of John, in John 8, 31 through 32, he, he, he says this, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What Jesus said, he says, I'm the truth, my words are the truth. Everything that Jesus spoke, everything that God speaks is true. And it doesn't matter if you believe it. Just because you don't believe it's true doesn't mean it's not true. Um, it is truth, and it's absolute, and you can argue against it all you want, and you're wrong. This is truth. And that's why we get to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God, which means all Scripture is truth. 
You and I as human beings, we don't dictate truth. We don't come up with truth. Truth has already been come up with by God. God dictates truth. Our culture, on the other hand, would disagree with that. Um, in 2018, um, uh, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey uh, won a Golden Globe. Golden Globe is for TV shows. <clears throat> and uh, she got up and she did a very lengthy speech, but one thing stuck out to me from her speech. And uh, I don't know if this is what she actually meant by it, but this is why words are important and you should think before you speak. But this is what she said. <clears throat> what I know for sure, all right, what I know for sure, this is what Oprah knows for sure, is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Let me tell you, your truth doesn't matter, all right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. I'm sorry if that makes you think differently. Your truth doesn't matter. You don't dictate truth. Listen, um, our culture uh, puts up, props up this phrase, hey, just be true, be you, be your truest self. That's what our culture says. It would say that, hey, listen, if you're a man and you find another man attractive, great, man, partner into that homosexual lifestyle and get married and adopt kids and life will just be true, be you. The Bible says something completely different. The Bible says what the truth is, is that's a sin. Our, our culture and our world will say that, hey, listen, there are all types of ways to get to heaven. Man, there are all kinds of ways. You can go through Buddha. You can go through the Book of Mormon. You can go, you can go all types of ways. Whatever you believe about God, it'll get you to heaven. Listen, in fact, if you don't believe about God, it'll get you to heaven. That's what our culture says. Be true. Be you. But Jesus said something else, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. Got a young boy who is confused in life, who is struggling with his identity, and he tells his parents, I think I'd be better suited as a female. And his parents say, all right, well, let's go on your feelings, and let's go ahead and, and, let's go ahead and make this happen for you. And our culture says, be true to yourself. If you're not comfortable in your skin, change it. It's fine. Be true, be you. Our culture says, listen, we're all generally good people. That's what our culture says. Our culture says, you're good. And it plays the comparison game. You didn't murder anyone. You're not in jail. You know, you're a good person. Our culture is wrong. Truth doesn't come from you or your feelings or from our culture. It comes from God. An author said this. An author says, for John, truth is found in the word of the Father turned to mankind, incarnate in Christ, illuminated through the action of the Spirit. And what men are required to do with the truth is not to win it by some intellectual endeavor, but rather receive truth and enter into it by faith, to submit to it and to live by it. You can't define truth. Truth has been defined what we are called to do is to receive it by faith, submit to the truth, and live by it. And the problem is this has crept into our churches. And we say, you know what? Uh, I know the Bible says I should serve, but nah, not me. We say that, you know, hey, I know church is important and all, but I, I'll go when it's more convenient for me to go. We would say that, um, you know, uh, God has called me to do X, Y, and Z, but you know what? That's, that's not for me. I don't have time for that in my life. Listen, just because you're developing your own truth about the Bible doesn't mean you're right. We are called to be obedient 
to the Scripture, obedient to God and what He does and what He shows us with His Spirit. But now we get to the good word. We get to some good, some good news. We get to some, some things that should make us really joyful. We get to verse 9. And our third word that we look at, and our final word that we look at this morning, is the word confess. If we confess our sins. Listen, um, we've been talking about what, makes, uh, what marks a true believer. Um, we've been finding different things here in 1 John chapter 1 that say, if you exhibit these things, um, then it's a good evidence that you really are saved, that you have uh, 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 been saved from your sin into light. And the first mark that we saw two weeks ago, we saw this mark of joy. Um, and if you are walking in the light and you have salvation, then your life should be characterized by joy. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what's going on in your life, you should be uh, uh, firmly rooted in who God is and in the truths of God's word. And if your life isn't characterized by joy, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means you should probably look at that. It might, might be an indicator that you might not be. And then we looked at the second marker last week. And we said a true believer is not only marked by joy, but they're marked by the fellowship uh, with God's people. And that's what we got in uh, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If, we're, if you're walking with Jesus, right, then you have that connection, that relationship with God. You're going to love his people. If you don't love his people, something is wrong. That's like, that's like you coming to me and saying, hey, uh, Pastor Josh, man, really like you. You're a cool guy. Um, you're, you're the best ever. Uh, but your wife, mm, I don't really know. I don't, I, don't really, I don't really like her very much. Well, you don't have fellowship with me if you don't have fellowship with my wife, all right? Uh, and so that's the same, that's the same idea here. We, if we have fellowship with God, then we're going to have fellowship with his people. And then we get to our third marker. Our third marker here is that a true believer is marked by continual confession to God. Continual confession to God. Well, what does it mean to confess? One author said this, the word confess means to say the same thing as. When you confess your sin, you are agreeing with God that what he says about your sin is true. It is an admission of guilt. To confess your sin is not just saying, I got caught, I'm sorry, but if I can get away with it, I'll probably do it again. That's not confession. Confession of sin is coming to the place where you honestly agree with God about your sin. Confession means genuine contrition for our sin and genuine seeking of forgiveness. Now, I want us to realize something because there's two theological truths when we talk about forgiveness. The moment you are saved, the moment you ask Jesus in your heart and you confess your sin and you commit your life to following after Jesus, the Bible says you are justified. What that means is a legal term to mean that God takes all your sin, all your unrighteousness, and he trades it for all of his righteousness so that when God looks at you, he sees the blood of his son Jesus uh, when he looks at you and he doesn't see your sin. Um, and that covers your past sin, your current sin, and your future sin. It's all taken care of all at once, right then when you're justified. And that's your relationship with God, right? Your relationship with God starts, but your fellowship with God can change. And to have good fellowship with God, we need to continually confess sin in our life and have God continually forgive us of the sin in our life. 
Um, uh, our pastor explained it this way last week. He said um, he's, he's got kids, and they'll always be his kids. They'll always be his son, always be his daughter, no matter what. Nothing can change that. Uh, it's always going to be that way. But their fellowship can change. They might get an argument and might not talk to each other for a day or two. They might, something might change. They, are, they might move away, and they, just, they're not, they don't see each other every day, right? Their fellowship changes, but their relationship doesn't change. And that's, that's what John is talking about here. If we confess our sins, he's talking about fellowship with God. If we confess our sins. And here's the thing about confession. Confession should be something we do all the time. Like multiple times during the day, we should be confessing that we are a sinner. Remember what the word confess means, to say the same thing as. Is, is we go to God, maybe, maybe no sin pops in your brain, Right? and you're like, man, I feel like I haven't really done anything today, um, you should still go to God and say, God, I agree with you that I am a sinner. Because here's what happens. You go out into the world, and you listen to music, and you watch TV, and you, you uh, relate with people who are unbelievers, and um, what you start to believe about yourself is you start to believe, I'm a good person. That, that it starts, starts to kind of creep into your belief system. Like, I am, I am good. Man, I, I'm definitely not that bad. Right? And you start thinking and start believing that I could be a good person. What confession does, confession says, it reminds us, you're not good. You're not a good person. You're a terrible human being. And you need to come before God and say, God, I'm a terrible human being. Help me to remind myself of that. And then as God exposes sin in your life, you take that specific uh, sin that God has exposed and you name it. You be, when God is specific and shows you sin, you be specific with God. And say, God, I'm really struggling with pride. God, would you forgive me? God, I'm really struggling with lust. Would you forgive me? I'm really struggling with anger. Would you forgive me? When God exposes sin in your life, which happens by walking in the light, God exposes the sin as you walk in the light. You take it to God and you tell God that, hey, I agree with you. This pride, it's bad. I shouldn't be doing it. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I shouldn't be struggling with it, but I am. I need you to forgive me. I need to, I need to move away from this. Um, as you walk in the light, the light will expose darkness. As that darkness is exposed, you've got to confess it to God. Um, and then we see some really cool things. As we confess, we see some really cool things about God. So check this out. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. Man, uh, that's good news. Uh, God is faithful, which means God is true to his word. He's true to his promises. And he does what is right all the time. Uh, and if you're, if you're struggling with the faithfulness of God, um, you can look in Scripture where God says he's going to do something. He does it. Um, and I can look back on my own life and say God has shown up time and time and time and time again. No other way it could be explained except for God. God is faithful. He's not just faithful, though. He is just. And the Greek word there is actually righteous, which is repeated at the end of verse 1 in chapter 2. Um, and, and I can't wait for our pastor to preach on that next week. But it means righteous. What this, what's, what's being said here is that God, God's justice in his righteousness, he has to punish sin. He has to. He can't let sin slide. Uh, if he did, he wouldn't be God anymore. Uh, and so he has to do something with sin. And you're saying, okay, well, if I'm saved, what has he done with my sin? 
And that's where verse 7 comes back in. Like, let's go back to 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, God's already taken care of your sin problem through the blood and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Your sin problem has been taken care of. And that's how God can continue to be just in allowing fellowship with people who sin. Because your sin has been taken care of by Jesus. It's really, really neat. Then, out of all this, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive. Forgive means to cancel a debt or dismiss a charge. means that we go in with this debt that we have, this debt of sin. We can't pay it. There's nothing we can do. It's so high that nothing we can do, and God cancels it. He says, it is no more. And when God forgives us, he handles our guilt. Like, you don't have to be guilty about your sin. You're actually declared um, not guilty. Um, uh, next week, our pastor will, will preach uh, chapter 2, and there's this whole courtroom scene where, um, where you stand before God, and the devil is bringing all these accusations against you, and he's saying, this person did this, this person did this, how can you let them into heaven? And then Jesus, the advocate, uh, your attorney stands up and says, he is forgiven. And there's nothing the devil can do but sit back down and say, okay. <clears throat> but if that's all God did for us, if God just forgave us, it would be way more than we would ever deserve. Way more than you and I could ever deserve if God just forgave us. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? The Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The cleansing handles the stain of sin. I want to show you a couple of verses here. Um, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I am, he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 1, 18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Man, that's good. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of a refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Man, listen, if this doesn't fire you up, that not only are you forgiven and God handles your guilt, but you are cleansed and it handles the stain of sin that's in your life, if that doesn't get you fired up, that doesn't put some joy in your heart, you need to check your heart, all right? Because you might not know Jesus. If, if, this, does not, if this does not move you in any way to be excited or to be thankful or to be grateful, then there's, you have a heart problem. And I'm not saying you're lost, but I'm saying you could be and you need to figure that out. Um, this is good news. This is something to celebrate. This is something to throw our hands up and praise the Lord. This is why we come and sing on Sunday mornings. This is why you should tell people about Jesus. This is really good news, that God will take this horrible things that I do, this, 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 uh, uh, this 
this fact that I'm an enemy against God, and he will not only forgive it, but he will, he will make it disappear like it never, ever happened before. Um, I heard a story about a uh, small little family, a little country family, <clears throat> mom and a dad and a son, son about six, seven years old, and uh, they're getting ready for church. Sunday morning comes, and they get ready for church, and they, they wake up, they wake up their son, and, and they get him all dressed, put him in his Sunday best, um, and, and this kid, man, he just, he loved being outside, like running around the yard, climbing the trees, chasing the turkeys, all, all the different things, man, he just loved being outside, and so his parents dressed him, and uh, he looks at his parents, and, you know, with those big old cat eyes, and he says, can I run around outside? And uh, his parents look at him, and they think about it for just a second, but they're like, all right, you can, but we have rules, all right? We are going to church. You cannot get dirty. So you can run, but don't do anything that's going to cause you to get dirty. And, and the boy looked at his parents and, and said, okay. And the dad was like, are you sure? Are you sure you understand what we're saying? He said, yes, I understand. So with confidence, they let their son go out into the yard and run around while they finished getting ready. And he's just living his best life, you know, running through the field, found some turkeys, chasing them around. And, and, and he, he knows where the mud is, he's staying away, staying away from the trees. You know, he's not doing anything that's going to help him fall or cause him to fall. Um, and he's just running, and he's just, man, he's loving life. Um, well, he, he loses grasp of where he's at, and he's running, and, and, and he trips over a root. And then just falling to the grass, he falls into a mud puddle. And he is covered in mud. And while he's laying there in the mud, like big old tears well up in his eyes because he knows, I just did something I wasn't supposed to do. I just got dirty. And so he slowly, with his head hung low, walks back to his parents and, uh, and he says, Mom, Dad, I am so sorry. Tears running down his eyes. I did not mean for this to happen. I was not looking for it to happen. And, and, and I, I'm really, really sorry. His parents looked at him, and, and they said, they, they looked and, and saw he was sorry, like truly sorry. And so they said, it's no big deal, it's fine, we forgive you. <clears throat> and they loaded him up in the car and took him to church. No, it'd be terrible, right? It'd be terrible. Why would you take your son, filthy, head to toe, covered in mud to church like that? You wouldn't do that, right? <clears throat> they forgave him. Mom takes the clothes and takes him to the laundry, tries to start working on the stains. Dad takes him to the shower, hoses him down. They come together and they dress him back in some new clothes, Sunday best, and they take him to church like nothing ever happened and no one would know the difference. Listen, church family, that's what God does for us. We go out, we tell God, God, I'm going to go for you, I'm going to go hard for you, I'm going to run around for you, and we run and we run and we run and we're doing good things and, and all of a sudden we get tripped up by sin, Hebrews 12, sin that so easily ensnares and entangles. And we fall down and we get muddy. And if you're a believer, that, that should bring some, some uh, heartache to your heart. And you should go to God and you should say, God, I didn't mean for this to happen. I didn't, I didn't want to fall. I didn't want to get entangled with sin, but I did. And, and God, I am sorry and I don't want to do it again. Would you forgive me? And God says, yes. He takes us out of our clothes, burns them and throws them away separates him as far as the east is from the west and puts us back in new clothes like we had never sinned. That is good news. That is really, really good news. 
Listen, there's two challenges, and I'll be done. <clears throat> Challenge for uh, those of you who are believers. If you would say that, I know I'm saved. Well, have you let some sin creep in? Have you, have you been mistreating sin in your life? Are there some things that you know are wrong that you're doing that you need to stop? If you're, if you're a Christian, do you believe in the truth? Do you believe in God's word? what it says about our culture, what it says about you, what it says about marriage and and raising kids? Do you believe that this is the true way? And if you're a believer, when was the last time you just sat and confessed? Maybe God didn't reveal anything specific to you, but you, you came and you told God, I am a sinner. I know it. I need to be reminded. I know it. And God, I, I know that you are faithful, and I know that you are just, and I know that you will forgive me. And God, help me to be grateful. But maybe you're here today, and uh, the Spirit's pricking your heart, and you know that you do not know God. God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for your sins and take away that problem, and He says, those who would call out upon my name, you will confess your sin to God, and you will commit your life to Him, God says he will take away that sin and move it as far as the east is from the west, and you can begin to have fellowship with God this morning.